0: Father, we thank you for your uh, your your coming and reaching into our lives and 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 kind of making a mess of everything, so that we realize and know that you are in control, uh, God. That you uh, you you will not just let us move through this life uh, without growth, without learning to deny ourselves and say no to ourselves and and death to ourselves and instead find our life in you alone. I thank you for that because I would just cruise control through life if I, if I didn't have you as a father. But because you are my father, you, you care, you discipline, and you love me and every single one of your children. And we thank you for that. And so we pray that during this time where we look into your word, God, that you would speak into our lives encouragement, correction, and uh, even rebuke if we need it. The Lord, that we would learn to say no to ourselves and, and instead seek you and your spirit and your will above all things. Jesus, we pray, Lord, that you would help us to learn humility, that we would uh, see you as great and mighty and strong and ourselves as small, weak, and needful. And we ask all these in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> All right, so today we're going to be cruising again through the, the book of Exodus, and we're going to be going through chapter 26, verses 7 through 14, and we're going to be learning about the tent over the tabernacle. And uh, sometimes I name sermons, different things, and, and uh, so we're, this is called the tent over the tabernacle or the grace and suffering of Jesus. Uh, you might be like, how in the world are we going to get grace and suffering of Jesus from a tent that is covering the tabernacle? We'll get there. We'll see it um so that's the title of today's message so i got a couple questions for you why did jesus choose to suffer and die on the cross you don't have to shout out an answer but just think in your mind what i know most of us would say for our sins right was it for our sins um well kind of but not really um our sins were really our problem jesus didn't have to come and die for us you guys know that right they, they were our problem. We should have paid the price for our own sins, which is an eternity in the flames of hell. Okay? That's our state. Uh, that's the perfect and right judgment pronounced upon sin. Each and every rebellion against God deserves hell. Okay? But Jesus did choose to come down and, and from heaven to take a human body and to sacrifice his own life on the cross for us but why did he do that? The suffering of Jesus is directly connected with the grace of God. The grace of God. God's grace is his attitude of willingness to reach out and help us and to meet our every need because of who he is. He is love. And because he's love, he shows grace and provides grace, which is a real practical, reaching out of the hand to provide something that we need. Our need was very clear. We needed a redeemer who would pay an eternal, an eternal wrathful penalty of God on our behalf. That's what we needed. So God sent Jesus Christ to meet that need. We never earned this, right? We never deserve it. We can never, ever boast about any part of it. Jesus has simply loved us when we were his enemies and we didn't even want to be saved. He still was gracious. He still had this attitude of love. His pursuit of us began before we even started running away. And he he will never leave us or forsake us because he is this loving God. That's That's how grace works. God meets our needs. But what is required of you and of me to obtain grace? How do I get this grace? BK? F and H. Faith and humility is our, we call it F and H. Faith and humility. That is what is required of me. It's not works. Those are not works. But they are relationship realities. Relationship realities. It's not a work for me to say, I need you, God. And it's not a work for me to say, I depend on you, God, and I trust in you, God. But those are two things that are required of you and of me. God says in James 4, 6, I give grace to the humble. humble. And in Romans 5, 2, we have access to grace by faith. So humility and faith is our part of the puzzle. It is our ingredients to the big bowl of a relationship with God, not works. Nothing you do can earn you grace. God just gives it. So when we humble ourselves and put our trust in Jesus, he fulfills all our needs by his grace. Every desire and every emptiness is met in him. Every fault and every shortcoming is fixed and provided for. Every daily need that we have in this life is another opportunity to see the Lord Jesus step in and pour out his grace so that you learn that he is faithful, so that you learn that he loves you. That is why we're going through all the stuff we're going through. That is why we have conflict. That is why we have hardships, so that we can see him pour out his grace. But the question for today is how do I know that he will do this for me, that he would pour out his grace? Bless you. How do I know? What guarantee do I have that God will behave this way of giving grace and all I have to do is humble myself and trust in him? What guarantees do I have that every time, every single time, without fail, he would do this? And my response to you today is because of his suffering, because of his blood, you have that guarantee the blood is your guarantee it is your promissory note it is what you need to remember and to hold on to to know that god is going to answer your prayer and meet your need if we only understood the value of the blood of jesus christ it would it would mean so much for our walk with the lord We would be able to walk in victory. We would not have fear. We would not worry about things. But we would understand that the blood of Christ has already won. It is already provided. There is no fight between you and sin. The blood of Jesus won already. And when we abide in it, when we believe it, you will experience the victory that Jesus won that's how this all works. So let's look at a few verses. Before we get into Exodus, I know I told you to open up there, and I totally lied and, and deceived you, because we're going to look at like eight verses before we get into Exodus. So let's go to Hebrews chapter nine, verse 12. In Hebrews chapter nine, it says, "Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with His own blood, He, Jesus, entered the most holy place, once and for all, having obtained eternal redemption. God's grace is given to us. At a price, a price was paid. And that price was the blood of Jesus. But now that this blood has been paid, it has bought for us all grace. All grace. You don't ever have to pay again. You get everything that God is offering. You get all grace. This is everything we need. We call this redemption where you have been given everything you need. You have been made right and you have been made set free all at one time. That's when the blood was paid on your behalf. Now, let's look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. Ephesians 1, 7. In him, important words, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his, what's it say? Grace. Grace. See, the redemption we just mentioned that is by his blood that bought us this redemption, it is according to his grace. And those words, we don't often use the words according to in our uh, context. But let me, let me, with an illustration, Bill, if Bill Gates said, I'm going to give you a, a gift, you know, who wants to be my norm? Bill Gates said, I'm going to give you a gift out of my riches. If he said the term out of my riches... He could give you a penny, he could give you a hundred dollars, or he could give you a million dollars. You don't really know what it is because it's just out of the great compiled stacks of money that he has. Okay? But if he said, I'm going to give you a gift according to my riches, that gift has to accord with it so you would expect that gift to measure as, his, as great as his riches are. So how rich is Jesus? What kind of resources does Jesus have? Unlimited. His spirit literally created the universe. So we're talking power and and glory. And this is what he offers to you and to me. And it, and the grace that we're talking about is according to his riches. Man, this is taught, this grace is unbelievable. Grace is the pouring out of what we need from Jesus himself. And his blood bought it all for us. His blood bought it all for us. So, but what if... But here's what a... Maybe maybe you're like, "I, I don't get it. Okay? What if I want to live my life my own way? What if I want to really earn my way with God and show him that I, what I can do for him, that I can make my way in the world, that I'm an independent person. What if I want to be that? What, can't I just give God my best? Won't that make him happy? Can't I just try my best to keep the Ten Commandments and go to church and pray and read the Bible and tithe, give money? Isn't, won't that make God happy? And the answer is absolutely, without a doubt, no and never. Those are works, and they do not step over Jesus. They can never be on top of what Jesus did. Those are not the things that make Jesus happy. You must believe and trust in the blood of Jesus Christ. All those other things can be a response to his love, But none of them can ever be the thing that we hope in, that we remember, that we think of. God, I know you'll hear me because I gave 50 bucks today. God, I know you'll heal me because I sent $400 to the guy who wants the airplane and he said, I'll get healed on TV. Those things, God, I've gone to church 45 times in a row and heard the boring pastor preach his boring sermons. I have got to have earned some Jesus points, right? We talk about Jesus points all the time and it's totally a joke. I hope you know that. We're using sarcasm to tease that Jesus doesn't do an earning points system for us. He paid his blood. And so the Jesus points thing is a total joke that we just have a running joke with me and you guys. And I appreciate 50 Jesus points for all of you just for <laughs> laughing at me. <laughs> it's a joke? Ah! <laughs> all right. Let's look at Hebrews 10:29. These works that we do are a response to his love. This is all still just the introduction, just so you're aware. Oh boy, we're in trouble today. Don't worry. Bronco Games not until 2.30. You have plenty of time. I could go. Hebrews 10.29 says, Of how much worse, remember, I said, can't I just live my life on my own? What if I just try to, not use grace but try to earn through works what i need from god try to try to deserve it and i'm going this verse is concerning that it says how much of how much worse punishment do you suppose he will be thought worthy who has trampled the son of god underfoot and counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing and insulted the spirit of grace Insulted the Spirit of grace. This is not really talking about the person who doesn't believe in Jesus and is not. This is Christians who choose to insult the Spirit of grace, who say, My life with God is about works and what I do for Him, not what He did for me. That's what grace is, what God did for me. There's sometimes when people have their whole identity in what they do for God. I'm a pastor, I'm a missionary, I'm a wife, I'm a mother. And whatever it is is their thing that they think, I have at least done this for God, that becomes their identity, and when that is their identity, they are this person. They've insulted the spirit of grace because our identity can never, ever ever be what we do for God. It is what he did for us. He has made us children. He has adopted us. He has loved us. And it's very important that we get that. God is so deeply offended when we choose to not live by the resources his son Jesus provided for us. God will not accept anyone who rejects his beloved son. Who, who would even think that he would do such a thing? And the help that Jesus gives us, his grace, is something we must accept. Or we cannot draw near to God. We can't please God. We underestimate the grace of Jesus and the sacrifice Jesus made to provide all of God's help for us at our own peril. It is not about you and your problems. All of this. Everything is not about you. It's about what he has done for you. And when we try to climb up closer to God and give our best and give a little more, we are stepping on Jesus. And he said here, you've trampled the Son of God underfoot. See, it is a prideful attitude that says, I, let, me, let me climb, let me look at what I'm doing, God. Look at what I'm giving. I'm giving more than them, and I'm better than them, and I do it more than them and this pride god says is stepping on the on Jesus. And God says don't do that. So what is the opposite? Humility. Where we fall down on our knees with arms stretched out to receive his lovely free grace. That is the way to live the Christian life. Like this. With arms What can you do when your arms are out like this? Maybe carry a TV. Not too much, but you can receive. This is an attitude and a posture of receiving, of I can't, do, sp- I can't build spiritual things. I can only receive and let you take over. All right, with all of that being said, we get into our text, <laughs> Exodus chapter 26, and let's read it. God's free grace Verse seven, you shall make also curtains of goat's hair to be a tent over the tabernacle. You shall make 11 curtains. The length of each curtain shall be 30 cubits and the width shall be, each curtain shall be four cubits and 11 curtains shall all have the same measurements. And you shall couple five curtains by themselves and six curtains by themselves. And you shall double over the sixth curtain in the front of the tent. And you shall make 50 loops on the edge of the curtain that is the outermost in one set, and 50 loops on the edge of the curtain on the second set. And you shall make 50 bronze clasps and put the clasps into the loops and couple the tent together that it may be one. The remnant that remains of the curtains of the tent the half the curtain that remains shall hang over the back of the tabernacle and and a cubit on one side and a cubit on the other side of what remains, the length of the curtains of the tent shall hang over the sides of the tabernacle on this side and on that side to cover it. And you shall make a covering of ram skins dyed red for the tent and a covering of badger skins above that. So as we have been going through this section, chapter 25, chapter 26, we're seeing God's instructions of how to build the tabernacle, and here we're going to see the tent over the tabernacle. Now, in verses 1 and 6 of this chapter, we saw the white curtains were called the tabernacle, the tabernacle. But here we have these goat hair curtains that are called the tent, and so um and then the ram skins and the badger skins were called the coverings that go with the tent. So we see that the tabernacle and the tent are two separate things and we need to think about them as separate things. What have we said all the time about the uh, tabernacle? Who who does it represent? Jesus, right? And it, and in every single part of it is, is part and, and describes a part of my relationship with Jesus and your relationship with Jesus. These things were written for you. He, God designed this entire tabernacle for the children of Israel, but also mainly foreshadowing you and your relationship with, with Christ. So each and every detail is very important for us to understand. So in the language of Hebrew, the word for tabernacle is mishkan, and the word for tent is ohel. Uh, and they, they mean a dwelling place, a tabernacle, versus a tent or just something that covers something up. Okay, And uh, the reason I point that out is because this tabernacle it is where God stayed and the people would visit him. They would assemble before him and he would not leave his tabernacle. His dwelling place was with his people. And this tent covered it. This tent is what people would look at and would see first. When they came before God's presence, they would see The covering tent. No, they could be far away, and they could still. Oh, the tent is over there. You know, they could see the tent, and so it's going to show us something that people should consider when they are considering having a relationship with God. All right. So we see that there are eleven goat curtains, goat hair curtains, Um, and and so when you picture this, you got to picture black. Hair, because that's what these goats had. They were black hair. In the Song of Solomon, it actually mentions these when it says, I am dark but lovely, O daughters of Jerusalem, like the tents of Kedar, like the curtains of Solomon. See, they used the same goat hair curtains, and it was dark, it was black. Okay, so just remember that. So they were made from goats. Now, goats. To understand why this is important for us, we're going to look at several verses in the Old Testament and several of the feasts where God gives instruction to his people on what goats were, were kind of about. So we start in the book of numbers in the first feast uh, in the book of numbers verse chapter twenty eight Verse 17, it says, On the fifteenth day of this month is a feast, and unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days. So this is the feast of unleavened bread. You Skip down verse 22, and it says, And one goat as a sin offering shall make atonement for you. So on their first feast, the feast of atonement, or, the, or unleavened bread, excuse me, they had to sacrifice a goat, and it would make atonement for them. All right, our next one is in Leviticus chapter 23, verse 15. And you shall count for yourselves from that day after the Sabbath, uh, from the day you were brought uh, the sheaf and wave offering. Seven Sabbaths shall be completed. So this is going to be the feast of ingathering. And verse 19, then you shall sacrifice a kid of the goats as a sin offering and two male lambs. So again, goats are seen as a sin offering, uh, something that they killed to represent their sins being washed away. Let's look at Numbers chapter 29. Another feast in the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall not do any customary work for it shall be the blowing of the trumpets. So the feast of trumpets. And verse five, and one kid of the goats as a sin offering to make atonement for you. Wow, it's like every single feast has a goat. All right. Then if we were to read Leviticus chapter 16, we would see the day of atonement. And then the day of atonement, uh, they would have two goats, They would bring them before the priests, and they would uh, kill one of them. And as they were killing it, they would pronounce all the sins of the people. And as they're pronouncing the sins of the people on this one goat, they would kill him, and, and they would take the blood and sprinkle it on the priests and the people. And then they would take another goat, and they would just set him free into the wilderness. And that was called the scapegoat. It is. That's literally what it was called. And that's where we get the term. One that gets to go free even though they were guilty of sin. Right? So that's where the term scapegoat comes from, and that is starting to teach us and help us understand what this whole goat thing is about. So, the meaning of this goat hair curtains is becoming clear. What's also really amazing is in Hebrew, in this chapter, the word hair is never mentioned. It just said, make a tent out of goat. Of course, they mean hair. That is the meaning of it, and we know that. But the Hebrew leaves it out, and I think on purpose to make us think what to, to understand that it's because of the meaning of goats that it wants us to understand why this tent is made out of the goat hair. So Second Corinthians really tells us what this is all about in our lesson for today, chapter five, verse twenty one. Second Corinthians five twenty one. For he made him God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So, as you can see, the goat hair curtains just above uh, these goat hair curtains would be just above the, the the entrance. They'd be hanging there, and they're there for a reason, so that. Any child of God who wanted to have a relationship with God, who wanted to enter in to God's presence and commune with him, they would be forced to bend down and walk under this goat hair tent where they would be reminded of the blood that was spilled and the sacrifice of the goat, which symbolizes sin. Okay? Jesus became our goat he became the one who this was killed and the blood was spilled so that we could be the scapegoat going free, so that we could be set free. And so any believer who wanted to enter this tabernacle, they would have to go right under this tent and they would have to think and remember about the price paid for them to be able to enter this tent. Isn't that a cool design? You kind of have to just Move it out of the way as you're going in and be right above you. But wait, there's more. We saw that there was 11 curtains, that this one curtain was 11 put together. Now, 11 is not a, ver, uh, a number that is used in the Bible a lot. So there's not like this like, we, like the, the number 10 and the number three and the number four and the number 12, and all these things that have significance in the Bible. 11 is not like that. And it's almost like the Holy Spirit knew that we would have trouble with this. And so in the very next verse, he tells us how to understand it. He says, don't think of it as 11, think of it as 5 and 6. Okay? So when, we, when we're learning about numbers in the Bible, there's a consistent, you know, not far out there interpretation of what numbers are. And the number 5 is the number of, anybody know? 5 is the number of Grace. We've seen that before. We'll see it many times as we go through. Five is the number of grace. And six is the number of, anybody know? Man. Men. Or man's works. What man can do. Man's abilities. So, five and six. Um, what man produces with his abilities. Uh, l- let me just illustrate that for you with a th- few things from the Bible. Man was created on the sixth day. So there's one connection. His work lasts six days and then he gets a day off. So it's his his work is the connection there. Almost every reference to work and labor of men is given the number six in the Bible. Uh, there are even six words in the Bible for man, four in Hebrew and two in Greek. And Jesus was crucified on the sixth hour for man's sin. And that's what our work has gotten us, what Jesus had to die for, the sixth. So... We see these, this tent is made up of six and five. Okay? Even the suffering of Jesus shows us this lesson that six is the number of men because Jesus had six elements to his suffering. He had uh, the scourging of his back, number one. Number two, the, the hitting of his face by the, by the soldiers. Number three, the spitting upon him. Number four, the placing of the thorns on his, on his head. Number five, the driving of the nails in his hands and his feet. And then six, the the spear going into his side. So all these things, you know, by themselves would be like, oh, that's just kind of neat. But what we're doing is we're building this impression that Jesus and his sacrifice and his blood is what we need to focus on. By even the numbers, we see that. The next thing we see in this is there's brass clasps. Clasps. Say that word ten times fast. I hate saying that word. Clasps. So if you would remember to last week, the, the white curtains, which symbolize his purity and his sinlessness, his character that is the inside of the tabernacle, those were held together by gold clasps. And these... This, the one that symbolizes his sacrifice and his offering for us is, is held together by bronze because bronze is the metal of judgment and punishment, whereas gold was the metal of divinity. Okay, so the suffering of Jesus is linked directly to the, the, the price paid for the grace that we need. In order for Jesus to give us grace for our sinful works, he had to endure judgment. In order for the five of grace to be given to us, for us to enter in, he had to pay the price for the six of our sin. And so you see this thing of like, you have to know this five and the six to know the seven. Because what does seven symbolize? Perfection. The perfect relationship with God, the, perfect, the, the holiness of God. I just love that. It's my new thing. You have to know the five and the six to get the seven. Anyway. So even these numbers and the materials, they foreshadow for you and for me today in Denver, Colorado, in 2018, the grace and suffering of Jesus. You know, the measurements show that, um, that this tent completely covered the tabernacle. So get this, if you're standing outside the tabernacle, you could not see any part of the inside which, which is, for us, it's the heavenly revelation. It's, it's that relationship where God is providing all your needs and he's meeting all your needs and he's, you're experiencing his love and you have his light and you have his bread and he's satisfying you and you have his very presence. You're in his presence. None of that is visible from the outside. And this is because to know Jesus, you must enter in to the tabernacle through the door of faith. You must enter in. You can't know God. You can't observe anything from the outside. You can't study it. You can't say, well, I'd like to know theology. I'd like to know God before I really dive into becoming a Christian. It will never work that way. You have to enter by faith first. Then you see, right? The very last thing we see in our text is that this goat hair tent was covered with another covering of ram's skin. And a ram in the Bible is an is a animal that always was associated with dedication or surrender to God's will. Uh, they showed that a person was fully committed to the will of God. And why was it dyed red? Because it shows that they were committed to death. Who does the tabernacle represent? So whose faithfulness is Is a relationship with God dependent on his or mine? His. He's the one that's faithful unto death. We share in his life and his death. He's the one that was faithful and committed. Remember when Abraham was committing, uh, showing his commitment to God by sacrificing his son Isaac? What did God provide at that moment? A ram right so to show that the idea there was of commitment consecration to god's will and then the next thing we see was badger skins now this we studied when we introed this uh, tabernacle and we said that badger skin was a bad translation uh because uh, some people said it was porpoise skins, some people said it was manatee skins or or stuff like that. but we saw as we studied it and i'm kind of convinced that uh this means a beautiful beaded covering uh, they would make shoes out of it. And uh, so this beaded covering um, symbolizes beauty. Okay, so they, they wanted a, God wanted a pretty covering over the outside of the tabernacle. So our lesson here is why are we not given the measurements for the badger skins and the ram skins? <laughs> Good job. That's right. Because you can't measure Jesus' devotion to his Father's will. You can't measure his beauty. I love that. I love that. Good job. Yeah. Jesus' points. No Jesus' points. <laughs> all right. So what does all of this mean to us? Okay. We, we had an introduction where we established our, our theological premise that God's grace is free, but it's, it's, it's connected with, suffer- with Jesus' suffering. And then we saw in our text that this, this is all pictured and foreshadowed through the tent over the tabernacle. And I would, I would suggest to you guys today that we consider this. When it comes to a relationship with God, there can be absolutely no pride. All glory has to go to Jesus. He accomplished everything. He paid the price. He did the deed. He died on the cross He provided the goat hair curtains for us. Our response today maybe should simply be to humble ourselves and receive his grace. Just like Jesus was raised to new life after he died on the cross, we can be filled with new life as we enter into the tabernacle of a relationship with Jesus by faith. Trusting him. Entering his tabernacle where all grace and blessing of Jesus is freely given to us. Now the enemy today, he wants to say one thing to you. You are not worth it. Your, It won't work for you. It is you should give up more. You should do more. You should change some stuff. If you're really going to commit to God, let me show you. Commitment means give more, do more, dig down deep and make it real from here. The enemy is saying that. Jesus is saying, I just love you. I've done all this for you. So receive it. Don't think, don't, don't have a prideful heart that says, oh, I got to earn it. I got to be this. I got to do, but just receive my love. Is that a good encouragement for you guys today? Amen. I'm encouraged. And uh, what we do now... Oh, um, you know what I'm going to read to you? Do, we, do you have two more minutes? We, we're going to worship, so... Sorry, I'm taking up your time, Raquel. But I'm going to read to you uh, something I read on uh, Jim Cimbala's, uh thing today. Because he, he did something about communion, so I want to um, read what he said about communion, because I thought it was just great. So I take no credit for how cool this is. Uh, he says the Lord left us uh, the, pra- the practice of communion uh, and in his New Testament letter to the church, the apostle exhorts us, whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Why isn't, it, uh, why isn't this practice a one-time thing like baptism? One of the reasons is because God knows our hearts and the way the enemy of our souls at- attacks us. Therefore, God wants us to keep remembering the blessedness of our position in Christ. We are saved not because of how many verses we've read or whether or not we've had a good day or because we've been a good person. We are accepted by God as his children only through the blood and the body of Jesus. What he did on the cross gives us forgiveness of sins, eternal life, and access to a relationship with our heavenly Father. All those things we get reminded of when we take communion. All we need to remember, all we need to remember why we're saved because um, one of Satan's names is the accuser, who tells us, look at what you did two years ago or two hours ago. And as soon as he has us looking backwards and looking within, instead of looking at Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, do you see how he did that? When our, when our mind was on us and what I failed and my, our, our, we instantly stopped looking at Christ. And communion is something that gets us back to looking at Christ. Church should be something that gets us back to looking at Christ. Even your devotions in the morning, if it's not focusing you on Christ, stop doing them. Just simply look unto Christ. All right, let's pray. Let's all stand up with you. So during our, our last uh, few songs here, we do most of our worship at the end, at this point in time, because we want to really take what was said during the sermon, and we want to meditate upon it. We want to lift our eyes to Christ. We want to allow the Holy Spirit time to search us, to restore us, to minister to us, and uh, that is why we do our time at the end. So time during this um, these songs, feel free to come up and get a, a cracker and a... A cup of grape juice and remember the body of jesus and the blood of jesus father we come into your presence soaked and clothed in the body and blood of christ that uh, the, the body was given for us that paid your wrathful uh, judgments on sin the blood cleanses us the blood gives us a new life a new relationship with you and jesus uh, i just thank you for your word today that that focuses my attention not on me, but on you and on the grace, the suffering that you paid in order to give me the grace that I need. Jesus, none of us should have pride about anything. You deserve all glory and honor and praise. Anything we have accomplished is because your spirit has enabled us anything you have done through us lord you get all the glory and praise we want to fade to the back of attention and let you jesus be the center and the glory of all glory and honor and praise and if there's anybody in here who has been living life for their own glory and on their own and, and, and the sacrifice of Christ has been something completely external, completely out there, completely uh, theoretical, I pray that today they would call upon your name, Jesus, in truth. And if there's anyone out there today that has not called upon Jesus, please make it today the day that you, you surrender to his will, to his gospel. Believe the gospel and and, uh, appropriate it for your own life. Say, I'm going to trust in Jesus no matter what. May your spirit lead us this week. Lord, may this time where we sing the songs be filled with humility and be filled with faith. You are a wonderful protector of our faith and author of it. And we pray that you would help us to grow knowing you more and more every day. Amen.